Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, May 13th. 2021. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Stacy, Kristen, and Brooke, and we are once again discussing the paranormal. We really like the paranormal here. Um, Brooke has been on like a giant fantasy kick since the beginning of the year. Uh, Stacy reads a bunch of fantasy. Kristen pretty much always reads a bunch of fantasy. Mm-hmm. I read a bunch. So here we are to tell you about some of our favorite paranormal reads. Um, Brooke will be starting us off, followed by Stacy, then Kristen, and I will finish up the round this time. So we will dive right into the housekeeping information, and then I will turn it over to Brooke. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book for tonight is Hidden Magic, Dragon's Gift, The Huntress, book zero by Lindsay Hall. So this book um, is actually a novella, but it's it's a novella that's important because it really gives you the background. So from what I understand, the first, the to give you a background, the Dragon's Gift is kind of like an overarching series name. And then there it goes like Dragon's Gift colon something. So um, the Huntress is the first, I can't remember if it was, I think it was four books. So the Huntress is the first four books and it's, involves cast um and then we also have Dell and Nix who are her friends so the next series of four will be with Nix or the next no it's um with sorry with Dell and then the next three after um next three or four after that is with Nix so I don't know where it goes from there but this series is like ridiculously gigantic and ridiculously complicated to figure out. I had to read over the website a few times. So um, as I said, this is the first kind of like prequel, I guess. So we have Cass and her friends, Della and Nix, and they are called fire souls. So they have a special kind of magic that everybody is afraid of. And so they're in hiding because if anybody was to find out, well, they're kind of hiding in plain sight. So they have like these charms that they're able to wear that don't let anybody sense their magic. So each of them are called fire souls, which are, they're not very common, but they're also a type of magic that 
everybody's afraid of because what they can do is they can take somebody's magic and use it against them. Um, so as I said, they're fire souls and they're friends. So they kind of like met some, we, we find out in the book how they met, but, um, in this novella, they are, they own like a little store. Um, it's kind of like a store of different ancient artifacts and it's called ancient magic. And Cass's job is to go out and to find these different artifacts that people ask her to look for, or also that are going to be interesting to the clients of their store. So the really cool thing about Cass is that she also doesn't like to um, take the artifacts out of the places that they are. So what she does is, yes, she's taking them, but then they make a replica of the artifact and they take the magic out of the artifact because they're kind of doing a, I guess, a citizen. They're kind of being help. They're being helpful because if the magic is left to disintegrate, then it sometimes can be really dangerous. So Nix is um, one of her kind of things that's special about her magic is she can conjure. So she's able to conjure the uh, replica. And then um, between the two of them, they're able to move this degrading magic over to the replica and then they make it more stable. So now it's in like a safer spot. And then um, Cass returns the artifact, the real one, back to the temple where she found it. So in this novella, um, her and her two friends have been kind of like, they're being stronghold held. Like they're being like told that they have to help out this mobster kind of guy. He's not called a mobster, but close enough. So um, they have to help him find these fancy daggers that he that he really, really wants. And so he wants them to help him. Otherwise, he's going to make life very difficult for them. So that's where the series begins. But I've read the uh, four books in The Huntress. And it was so good. Like, it was so neat to read about um, these different temples or different um, ancient artifact places where they can find the ancient artifacts. And it was neat to see like how their magic all works. And it was really cool to see Cass kind of come into herself. So this is the first book and it's Hidden Magic and it's Dragon's Gift, The Huntress, book zero by Lindsay Hall. She is an author that I keep seeing. Like, I see her name a lot, and I've never actually picked up any of her stuff. But I think I will have to change that. One thing that's really cool about her is that um, she's actually an um, archaeologist. So Ooh. she, um, so searching for artifacts is something that she did as a job. But I don't think she does anymore. Like I think she has just her writing has taken off. But you can tell that she knows what she's talking about. I love that. I discovered a new book recently. And I actually started reading it primarily because of the title. Um, It's called Resting Witch Face. 
It's Widow's <laughs> Bay Number One by Rebecca Rainier. This book is about Marcy. And Marcy at the beginning of the book is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Aw. She okay, is a news. Yes, she is a news anchor in Detroit. And she and her husband are actually the news anchors for the station. And she goes into her husband's office to um, tell him about a change in one of the like intros for a story and finds that there is a 23-year-old reporter sucking on a portion of his anatomy. Oh. <laughs> and right. And <laughs> so she goes Find she, the nearest sharp object. Well, she does one better. <laughs> Instead of finding a sharp object or screaming, she says something to the effect of, I'm sorry, I bothered you. And she walks out of his office, goes on set, gets her makeup on, gets ready. And then has a complete meltdown during the news where she outs her husband for cheating on her. Well, Beautiful. as is so often the case, even though he deserves to have like warts and bad karma, she is the one that gets fired from the news station for melting down. Mm-hmm. And so after some time and yes, and trying to, and, and you know, this, this video of her basically calling out the cheating husband on television <laughs> goes viral. And so basically she's like, you know, mud in the reporting world. And so she ends up deciding um, after talking to her great aunt Dorothy that she's going to go home to her tiny town in the upper peninsula of Michigan called Widow's Bay. And she's going to work for their online news. And so she has her old Victorian house and she loads, she goes and talks to her twin boys who are in college and tells them, you know, that things are going to be changing with her and her husband. And then she loads her giant mastiff, whose name is Bubba Smith, after a football player. And her cat. I love that. Yes. And her cat, whose name I'm currently blanking on. She loads them into her car and drives them up north over the Mackinac Bridge. And she goes to her um, family's Victorian in her small town of Widow's Bay. And this town is called Widow's Bay because periodically a lot of the men of the town die, leaving widows. And the most recent time this happened was in her generation when a bus of dads um, go off the road and they die. Oh, oh my gosh. Right. So she she comes back to this town. She's going to work for their online news. And she moves back into her childhood home. And all of a sudden, her cat begins speaking to her, offering fashion advice. And she's kind of like, what the hell? And Are she my goes, my cat's going to speak to me soon? Yes. I think that your cats will begin speaking I to don't. you because you, you are of the age. You are of the oh, age. This cat in my book, trail. and I feel very sad that I cannot remember the cat's name right now. I want to say like Gwendolyn, but I don't think that's right. Um, this it's cat, a great like, name for a cat. It is, but she it's, rides around on, it is. The, on the great, on the, uh, what kind of <gasps> dog is it? On the Mastiff? Mastiff. She rides the Mastiff around. Okay. And you <laughs> have to read this best. book. That's cute. I know. <laughs> and so she goes into her town and on the very, very first day that she's going to be the news, the sole news for this town, an ancient elderly woman is murdered. And she has to cover that story. Oh, oh dear. And then Maybe the cat she, can help. 
the well the cat is at home but the cat does help with like fashion advice and other things oh, i thought maybe so, you could like you know investigate for her it, like go well <laughs> p- potentially that's what's gonna happen i don't know yet because okay. in full transparency i haven't gotten all the way to the end of this book yet um okay. so now we have we have her investigating the murder of this ancient crone and the um Oh my gosh. What did I tell you this group was called? Was it the Dignified Ladies? No. The Distinguished. The, the Distinguished Ladies Club, which are all people about the woman's age who was murdered, are like wanting answers and trying to figure out if the cat survived after this woman was murdered in her home. <gasps> and then she starts hearing words like vampire and shifter. And she goes to meet up with all of her childhood girlfriends at the local brewery that was just recently opened. Um, and they all like through their magic, stop a fight in the bar. And she's like, oh my God, I left this town to like leave behind all this craziness. And now we're embracing the fact that this is the most haunted town with the most shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. It's a town where there's like (laughs) ghosts and lore. And now they're going to do like this huge, like festival honoring all of the supernatural, her great aunt Dorothy is like a talking to her about Wi-Fi, but also talking to her about like shifters and vampires and trolls and oh, how this dear. gate has been opened and her generation needs to step up. And there's a mayoral um, campaign in progress where there's one mayor who wants progress and one who wants everything to go back to like how it shouldn't ever be again. And there's this whole core group of strong female friends who like stay together through thick and thin. One is a vet, one owns a bookstore and one owns the pub. And one is the mayoral candidate. So what's going to happen when Marcy realizes that this town, Widow's Bay that she escaped is more than it appears. And what's going to happen when she discovers that she also is more than she appears. (laughs) Well, you're going to have to read the book to find out because I haven't quite finished it yet. So I don't know the answer either. But this is a truly delightful book, whether you like paranormal women's fiction or if you like more of like a cozy mystery setup. This book is so far absolutely delightful. It again is Resting Witch Face, unlike my Resting Bitch Face, (laughs) Widow's Bay (laughs) Book One by Rebecca Rainier. And it is 100% 100% delightful so far. So the first book I'm going to talk about tonight, and thank you, Brooke, for letting me have it, <laughs> um, is from Blood and Ash. Oh. And it is Blood and Ash series by Jennifer L. Armentrout. Now, I want to say I that I put off... I I do too now. What I'm talking about is the first book and it is called From Blood and Ash. And this is where we meet Poppy. Her real name is Penelope, which I think Poppy is a really cute name, nickname for Penelope. It's different. So she is what everybody calls the maiden. She is the chosen one. And she, because of this, she has to wear a veil over her face. She's not allowed to speak to most people, and they're not allowed to speak to her. Nobody ever sees her face fully, um, except for a couple of 
like maybe her very close guard, her lady's maid, and maybe two other people. Um, she's very sheltered. Um, but what most people don't know about her is she's very intelligent. She's very curious. She's really badass. Um, one of her top guards has in secret taught her how to fight hand to hand and with a dagger. Um, but that is like forbidden for someone of her status. Like the maiden is supposed to be this very quiet, contrite, um, do as you are told person. And the ultimate goal for her is to ascend and become an ascended and go to serve the gods. And this is what she's been taught all her life. Um, but some, some crazy things are starting to happen. She lives in the palace of the Duke and Duchess in Carcedonia. Yeah. Um, and th- people start dying or are murdered. Um, That's no good. People are starting to do things in the name of the Dark One. And there's a, a young girl is murdered in the palace one day. And they realize that a being called an Atlantean killed her. Um, And they know this by the bite mark on her neck. Oh. Um, There are also these beings called Craven, which are pretty much created by somebody like by uh, So what she's been told is they're created by an Atlantean who pretty much drinks all their blood and leaves them to be these ravenous like zombie-like creatures. Um, and if they bite you, they turn you into a craven. Um, but it turns out that everything she has ever been taught is not so. And she learns this very slowly. She, um, she learns that, you know, Atlanteans are not what she has been taught that they are. Um, and that the ascended are not what she thought they were, that the gods that they so, um, so-called worship and serve are not gods, um, all of this. And it just, it comes crashing down on her. But what I love about her is that she kind of takes everything in stride. I mean, it's a lot. A lot of things happened to her in really quick succession. And all along, this girl is just like, I never wanted to be the maiden. I hated that life. And everything just kind of happens around about the time she decides, I'm not going to be the maiden anymore. I can't live that life. And so she's pretty much freed. She's kidnapped, but she's freed all at the same time. And it's just, it's a really great storyline. I'm on the third book now. um, And it just keeps getting better. There's a pretty slow burn romance going on as well. Um, She 
has a mission of her own as well as her lover slash you know whatever he becomes i don't want to give any spoilers um it it just it's a really great storyline it's a take on zombies and vampires that i've never seen before they're just called different like the zombies would be the craven um the vampires and the or the Atlanteans and what they call the ascended would be like the the vampires because they have to feed um craven are more like zombie vampires i guess Ooh. It, it's just a really interesting take on a lot of things um i don't think i've ever read anything similar or that i can say if you've read this you should you would like this i can't think of anything right now but this series again is called blood and ash by jennifer l armentrout and it begins with from blood and ash and you must go read it i have binged i'm on the third book now and i haven't read anything in between them so (laughs) it's really that good i'm excited for these for people who um use nls bard the first two were added um as of today uh read by terry donnelly who is not the commercial narrator um but is is very very good so my first pick tonight has a few similarities to the book that Kristen just talked about um in fact this was one of Kristen's picks back in the spring of 2020 so this is incendiary Hollow Crown, book one by Zoraida Cordova. And I I love her so much. I love her um, Brooklyn Bruja series. Um, This one is so good. So this is the first in a duology. Um, So this is Incendiary. The second book is called Illusionary. And it, yes, it came out on May uh, May 11th. So this is young adult fantasy set in... Like, think of Inquisition-era Spain. So you're looking at magic and you're looking at the world through this certain lens of, like, a time when the prince and princess of, of Spain were rooting out certain parts of the population that they find undesirable. Mm-hmm. So in this world, that population is like magic users. And so there are certain types of magic users that they are especially looking for. Now, our main character is a young woman named Ren. Um, her actual name is Renata, but she goes by Ren. And when she was a child, she was kidnapped by the king's justice and taken to the palace. And because she had a very specific magical gift they kept her in the palace and used her sort of for their own ends and it was not a very nice thing for her because she is what is called a robotti which means that she can steal people's memories and if she steals enough of your memory you become what they term a hollow which basically means you're just kind of like a shell but you're still technically alive you just you don't have any like any you have no past Right, you, you have, have no past, left. you have no, like, anything. You just kind of follow directions that you're given. Um, you don't remember, like, any of the people that used to be in your life. You don't remember who you actually are. She kind of so, creates a living zombie. She does, kind of, yes. 
so she lives in the palace for many years and finally she is taken again this time out of the palace by like a rebel group known as the whispers and the whispers of course would like to bring down this regime that is trying to outlaw magic and as much as they think that ren can be very helpful to them in this they don't really trust her so she's been living with them now for a few years and she doesn't really fit in. They, they don't trust her. She doesn't trust them. There's only one person named Des who yes. she really, really connects with. But when Des is captured and the mission to rescue him goes horribly wrong. Oh, I cried. Ren finds that she must return to the palace undercover, which I love to try to figure out what went wrong and how she can fix it. So this is a book with a lot of magic, a lot of intrigue, and a book where like, you form certain ideas about people and very few of those ideas end up being correct. Um, yep. <laughs> everything that you learn in the first book like, is, is so quickly changed, like you don't you don't even really have time to realize it. Then you're like, wait, this isn't right. Yep. Um, it keeps it, you on your toes. It certainly does. And it is so, so good. It has a different feel from um, her Brooklyn Bruja series. Like it, it's not the contemporary, which is, um, it's, it's very historical, very rooted in this sense of place. And I really, really enjoy it. It is Incendiary, Hollow Crown, book one by Zoraida Cordova. Oh, I don't think so I've read this book yet, good. but it was definitely oh. on my TBR. It sounds like a book I'm going to have to pick up sooner than later. Oh. So my next pick is Black Sunshine. Oh. Dark Eyes Duet, number one, by Karina Holly. And I am so excited about this book. Well, I'm not excited about it. I I really liked it. So I'm excited that it's actually become a duology uh, because she was only planning on just doing one book. And then I think it just became bigger than than she thought it would. Um, You can honestly stop it at this book. So she ends it not with a cliffhanger. So you can definitely stop reading after you're done this. So one... Um, kind of like trigger warning is there is some questionable consent um, stuff and there's also um, some other not like things that people might not be comfortable with sexually or other um, like kind of like blood to do with like blood and I guess exchanging of blood and then oh. also sex. So, and also sexually as well. Like, so it's kind of like everything, a little bit of everything. So, if you're not feeling in a good place, it's probably not the best book to read at the time. So, you have to be ready for it. So, in this book, we have uh, Lenore, and Lenore has never really felt like she fit in. She doesn't feel like she fits into the world around her. She lives in San Francisco. And she also doesn't feel like she fits into her family. She, um, 
she's ready to go into her second year at Berkeley and she really mm-hmm. wants to do well. She's got her great friends. Um, she's going to be turning 22 in a week. I'm uh, not 22, 21 in a week. So she's really looking forward to getting like getting a chance to talk to this like head um, lead singer of a band that plays at a bar that soon she will be able to go to legally. Um, so a week before she turns 21, she is kidnapped by oh, dear. yeah by a vampire <gasps> named Absalon. And Absalon has actually been following Lenore as she's aged. Like she, I think, if I'm not incorrect, I think she remembers seeing him for the first time when she was really young. And then oh so he's kind of been just keeping an eye on her. And the whole reason behind it is not, it's not like pedophilia or anything. It's not, it will totally come clear in a second. So the reason why Absalon is so interested in her is because unbeknownst to Lenore, she's actually a vampire too. (gasps) What? Um, She was kidnapped as a child. So when she was, I think she's about three, two or three, her parents are killed by some vampire slayers and the vampires, not the vampires, the slayers, they hear Lenore crying and they pick her up and they decide they there's no way they can kill her so they decide to make her their own and they've never told her that she's a vampire and so Absalon knows this and there's it's not really possible like once she hits 21 she's gonna start going through the change and so she needs that support of the other fellow vampires to go through that change. And that's where you're going to get to the um, consent problem. And Mm -hmm. then, so she goes through the change successfully and Absalon helps her to figure out her powers and also to figure out the new world that she inhabits. I really, really liked her parents, like her parents, like even though her parents were bad and they like stole her, they still, you can really see, you can really see that they did care for her. Like, I think that if probably, if the situation had been different, I'm sure they would have chosen not to murder her biological parents. Oh, so, I hope so. Whoopsies. <laughs> yeah, that, that I found a little interesting. I'm like, vampire right? slayers raising a vampire. Okay. <laughs> But they very much treat her like her, their, her, she's their child, like even after she turns. So that's pretty cool. That's what I liked. Um, so Absalon not only is helping her get used to her new world, but he's also along with her kind of like ragtag group of other vampires and other creatures. They're trying to keep her safe because now she is sought by slayers and vampires because they want her dead so Uh this is black sunshine dark eyes duet number one by karina holly every once in a while my friends my dear dear friends you come across an author 
purely by accident. I mean, like Mm -hmm. purely by accident. And it's like the best, like stumble and fall upon a series that you never would have known to read. I, yep. judge me if you will, I routinely Google things about shifters, like romances with shifters. And it's always this kind of core group of romances about shifters. And while there's nothing wrong with like the insta-love mate claiming, it's not what I enjoy about the shifter bond. And then last week, I just happened, not even looking for this episode because this wasn't planned a couple weeks ago. I just stumbled into this author by accident. And I read this book and it sort of was like everything I didn't know I ever needed about reading about shifters. I am talking about A Shift in the Water by Patricia D. Eddy, Ah. who, by the way, does not get enough credit. And I'm not sure why, because she is kick-ass and amazing and I love her and I want other authors to write books in the vein of these. So A Shift in the Water is about Mara. And Mara is 30 years old and she's a nurse. And Mara is dying. Oh dear. And no one can figure out why. Um, She's had some blood work done. Um, She has like very low oxygen in her blood. She, they can't figure out why she's had like spells all of her life where she becomes ill, but they've always sort of passed. But now it's been about six weeks and what, you know, she's been lying to herself and saying, Oh, it's the flu. It's whatever, but she can't escape from the fact that something is very off. And so she goes and meets with a doctor and has her, her blood work done And it's not leukemia. It's not some sort of lymphoma. It's not a cancer, but what's going to happen is without blood transfusions, she's going to die. And so Mara feels the most at home when she can go to the, is it Orcas Islands off the coast of Washington? And she can go swimming in the ocean. And so she takes some time. She goes swimming. She comes home. She keeps hearing this like weird song, like in her mind. And she's like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know what this is. And she, you know, continues getting weaker and weaker over the course of the year. And she's just like given like a death sentence, like, okay, we can do these transfusions, but they're not going to, you know, they're going to be a short-term fix, but you know, you probably will pass away soon after Christmas is what her doctor tells her. So Mara is starting to kind of get her life in order. At the same time, we have Cade. Cade is the alpha of his werewolf pack in Bellingham, Washington. He's an artist. He's a sculptor. He, you know, he is all these things. They all live in an apartment building together. And one day, a fire elemental comes, burns down the building, and captures Cade, and keeps him in horrific, tortuous conditions for months and months, unable to shift from his wolf form. (gasps) So we have Mara who is ill and we have Cade who is being abused on the daily, um, traumatized beyond endurance. These poor people. Two souls never destined to meet. Except one day 
one day, after months of confinement, Cade is able to escape and ends up jumping into the open trunk of a car that is about to leave a hotel on the Orcas Islands because that's where he was held. So Mara goes back in to pay her tab at the hotel and doesn't realize that there is a burned and beaten wolf hiding out in the back of her car. Oh, my God. oh until she gets home and goes to Hello, pull her wolf. bags out and holy hell there's an emaciated wolf waiting for her in her car <laughs> this wolf immediately is drawn to her and she immediately feels like she can trust this wolf because he's about to die well mara close to death herself brings this wolf back to health and Cade begins the recovery process because of the love of this woman. Aww. Now, what I will tell you is that this book is everything that I love. This so this book, book is, it's a Mika book. It's all like hurt and comfort. It's a me it's, book. It's an everybody book. Anyone who loves like paranormal <laughs> and werewolf shifters and um, like traumatized, broken people, um, this book is for you. Now, what... Um, some reviewers didn't, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Cause I don't want to give spoilers. Okay. So what I'm going to say is this book is a slow burn. Um, Cade is a wolf in the book for probably, I read it in audio form. So I'm guessing the first, at least third or more of the book, there's no like conversation between our two mm-hmm. main characters. Now, what I will also say is some reviewers did not love that A, it was a slow burn, which I thought was kick-ass, and B, that he actually, Cade, had some PTSD from being abused routinely for seven months, and they felt As like he was would. not alpha-ish enough for them. But to me, it was such <laughs> a gorgeous... Oh, I'm not even doing it justice. It was such a gorgeous example of the way that love and found family and like rediscovering your pack can sort of begin to scab over emotional wounds. And I thought the pacing was perfect. The action was well-balanced with the romance. The sexy times were sexy, but they weren't the focus of the book. Um, It was just, it's the beginning of a four book series with an overarching story, uh, an overarching plot that kind of goes throughout the entire course of the books. And this author, in my opinion, has not gotten nearly enough um, just accolades or recognition for the way that she writes and the world that she's created. So I encourage anyone who enjoys shifters and the paranormal romance um, that's kind of a little bit more slow burn people who like their romance balanced with action found family strong friendships a shift in the water by patricia d eddy and it's elemental shifters book one please check this out it's like seriously freaking freaking amazing like i don't even have like they're not words for me to express how much i love mm-hmm. this book I have the first one. Yay! Yeah, I downloaded. I downloaded it a few days I've, ago. So my second book 
is Family in Honor, Jackie Leon, number two. Oh. And Bye by Kristen Bannett. So Jackie Leon is a werecat. Yes. And she is so amazingly awesome. So Jackie has, in the first book, for a little bit of background, she takes on um, protection of, of this little girl, and she's the daughter of an alpha wolf pack in Dallas, Texas. And, um, but she's not, she's not a wolf. She's a human girl. Um, and so you have all the events of that book. She protects this little girl, creates a bond. And then because of the events in that book, this little girl and her father and brother move into Jackie's territory, which is unheard of. Wolves do not live in a werecat's territory. They're enemies, actually. Oh. Um, but cats and dogs are friends. Not in Jackie's world. <laughs> so- not in my world. <laughs> um, your dogs haven't killed your cat yet, so I think they must be. <laughs> they they tolerate I think they know who the true alpha is, so they don't try it. Um, so Jackie, with her actions of, you know, taking on the protection and or, I get, they call it being called to duty. Um, and so because of her being called to duty and she taking it on, she's kind of blown her keep quiet stay under the radar mind my own business reputation she now has to kind of accept who she is and who she's related to and what has happened as is there have there has been two werecats murdered in their territories and Everybody in the family, in Jackie's uh, werecat family, are kind of blaming it on her. Oh. Um, because they're saying, you, you took on your duty, you were called to duty, you accepted it, and now the werecats have kind of been outed, and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. So she's, she's kind of feeling guilty, and her family is kind of browbeating her so she says okay i don't like the politicking but you know i feel guilty so i'm going to go and and figure out what has happened to these werecats they think that the dc wolf pack wolf pack may be um involved so she asks the one of the wolves that moves into her territory to go along to do an introduction to the DC wolf pack so that she's not like attacked on site. Um, and then they end up working together to figure out what happens to these cats. And it, it's kind of, she still wants to hate the wolf, but she kind of can't help herself. 
<laughs> so there, there's no enemies to lovers here as of yet. I kind of think there will be, but there isn't as of yet. Um, but there's definitely a bond. Um, See, there, cats and dogs are friends. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> um, they are in my first book, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it there's a lot that it, it's kind of a slow burn everything. Um not so much a romance in this case, but there's a lot of working together, there's a lot of you know, unheard of cooperation between wolves and cats at this point that that's just unheard of because they don't typically work together. They keep to their own and I, it's just such a well-written story. Um, I can't remember how many books are in this series, but I know there's a lot. And there's five this, so far. I think, and there's supposed to be more. I think I'm not really sure. There's five or six, but um, so I would say if you like Mercy Thompson, you'll like this, but. There's not as much magic in Jackie Leon as there is in uh, Mercy Thompson. There's no fae um, or anything like that. There are vampires. Oh. Um, at we, but we learn of them in, in this book. Um, so this is Family and Honor, Jackie Leon, book two. By Kristen Bennett. And it is so, so good. The first book is really good too, but that I feel like the first book took a little longer to get into than this book, but that just may be the first book syndrome. Okay, so my next book is also an author who hasn't gotten enough credit. Apparently, she's been writing since 2013 or 2014. And I've seen her name a little bit, but like when people come looking for recommendations for urban fantasy or paranormal romance, um, I don't really hear her mentioned. And I think that's sad. So I'm going to talk about Moon Tortured, Sky Brooks, book one by Mackenzie Hunter. And this seems to be another one of those series that's kind of like what Brooke was talking about with the Lindsay Hall novels in that like there are several sort of sub-series that go into this so this is Sky Brooks and then there are like other series that come after this one that sort of are set in the same world and at least to some degree seem to revolve around um, like certain themes that carry through all these books. I haven't quite figured it out yet but I'm working on it. So <laughs> this like I said is Moon Tortured and at first, when I started this, I was very confused. I'm like, wait, is this really book one? Did I just like end up kind of in the middle of a series? Because it seemed like things were happening that I didn't really understand. And then I realized that that was kind of on purpose. So Skylar is our main character. And she wakes up in this room. And it's a perfectly fine room. It's comfortable. You know, it's not like she's like chained in a basement or anything. But she doesn't know where this room is, and she doesn't know why she's there. Weird. She knows, <laughs> yes. <laughs> she knows that she has been there for a while, but she just doesn't, for some reason, like, have any memory of, like, how this happened. So 
as things go on, she begins to realize that she and her mother were victims of a vampire attack. And this is not a spoiler for me to tell you because she does figure it out like pretty quickly. So now she is being kept safe by the Northwest Pack. No, I'm sorry, the Midwest Pack, Ooh. as they're known. And so she's in this, this big house, which is known as a retreat home. And she's being guarded by a number of shifters. Ooh. Now, the thing to understand here is that packs in Mackenzie Hunter's world are not segregated by species in the way that you know like we're we're familiar with we usually see like wolf packs or you know lion prides um or like colonies of bears i don't know what a group of bears is called (laughs) um but what a party is it no That's what the bears in the Lady Sings books would call it. That is what they would call it, yes. <laughs> oh, shit. So there are all these animals that kind of come together because as were animals, they have like common values. So in this group of people that you meet with Skylar, you see some wolves, you Ooh. see some cats, and you see a were snake. I have never seen a were snake before. So her name is Winter, and she is third in the pack. So she's rather, she's rather frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very, very stealthy, very fast, uh, very sly. Um, she does not find that sexy. She doesn't get along <laughs> with with Skylar very well, and so that <clears throat> is kind of a, a point of tension here. Mm-hmm. Um, because Skylar has lived a very unconventional life, even in this world where, you know, animals that shift kind of band together. Skylar has been changing into a wolf every month since she was like 15. So now she's 24 and she hates what she is. She makes sure that she's locked in a cage whenever the full moon approaches and she basically like refuses to get to know anything about the animal side of her being but what Skylar doesn't know and what this midwest pack is slowly starting to figure out is that there is something about Skylar that makes her like irresistible to vampires (laughs) they seem to think that if they kill her this will grant them some sort of power. And no one really understands why until a warlock named Josh begins to sort of investigate who and what Skylar really is. So this is, it follows some of the formula of like the traditional urban fantasy, right? Like you, you're understanding who the players are and sort of what the what the conflict will be but it's also very different because sky is not automatically like drawn into the pack like she's not really sure that these are her allies these are people who are bound to protect her for reasons that she doesn't understand and if she doesn't understand why they're protecting her then she doesn't really think that she can trust them She also has a lot of questions about herself and kind of the way that she was raised 
And she still has such a huge amount of hatred for her wolf. So she has a lot to overcome. And as such, it can make her kind of a difficult character initially because she's determined that she's going to, you know, not depend on the shifters. Like to her, there's just no good that can come from that. Mm-hmm. So it takes her a while to really understand why things are working out for her the way they are. And so at the end of the first book, you still sort of see her like thinking that it's a good idea to be on her own, even though there's somebody that she's attracted to within the pack, even though she has made some kind of fragile friendships with some of the pack members, she's just still not really sure that this is a great idea. Um, I really enjoyed the pacing here. I like that although we're seeing sort of common um, characters like like shifters and vampires, um, the take on them is pretty different and I appreciate that. So this is a series that I will definitely be continuing and I'm really glad that I finally decided to pick it up. Um, it's been like on my shelf for a really long time. So I'm very glad to finally have read it. This is Moon Tortured, Sky Brooks, book one by Mackenzie Hunter. No offense, but a lot of things have been on your TBR for a long time. I know, but <laughs> I think I think I need this in my life, like right this very moment. I want to read it too. Then go get it. It is 13 hours long. Oh, so it's on Audible? Or, oh, I forgot to say this and I should. Oh, if, if you get this from Audible, and I highly recommend that you do, you can get the first four books, count them, four, (gasps) for a grand total of like 52 hours of Skybrooks for one audible credit please do it now the front door okay so my last book of the night is midlife magic not too late number one by victoria dannon yay and this book is about rita hayworth and i thought that was a hilarious name (laughs) Is a hilarious name. <laughs> so, and she also makes little like points to that every once in a while. So I thought that was funny as well. I agree. Um, so we've got Rita and Rita the day before, no, sorry, the day after her 43rd birthday, her husband tells her that he is going to trade her in for a new, for a newer model. And yeah, because that's she, a good thing to say. As exactly. one does. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I can't remember if, I don't think it's him that tells her, but she finds out that he's actually kind of traded her in for a 20-year-old and maybe also a 23-year-old. Oh. Yeah. So, on her birthday, I think that's when she gets it. She gets a package that tells her that she has inherited a an antique store in a small place in the UK. And she kind of, she doesn't know if she wants to go. Like this just seems kind of weird to her as like, I would, I I totally agree with her. Like just getting this random thing. Like, Hey, 
you well, just move to England. It's fine. Yes, yeah. you get yeah. an antique shop and like, you know, just pick up your just, life and move to England. It's cool. Yeah. It'll be all right. Exactly. No worries. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So she decides, well, life isn't going the way I'd like it. So what the hell? So she Ooh. goes and she gets there and she meets some very interesting characters. Um, we've got the there's a woman who works for her who is a magical being that we find out about later. Um, we've got, I know she's hilarious. (laughs) Um, and there's a whole slew of other characters that we've got. And I just love the whole, like the shop itself and how like the different objects, like you don't know, like, so they have like an area where you have for humans where the humans can all they'll see them but then there's also stuff throughout the shop that only magical people can see so I thought that was pretty neat because that's something that you don't see very often in books mm-hmm. so this this community is a place where it's all magic people they're kind of mixed throughout there's also like humans that are kind of but they don't know anything to do with these magical people so as we go along Rita's trying to figure out like why am I here what do you need me for like I don't know what I'm doing but she does find out that she has she is being asked to become the magistrate between that will take care of disputes between different magical factions and so she's kind of wondering, like, I have no law background. I don't know, like, I don't know what, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. Stacey, um, that's the job Michael should have since he wants mm-hmm. to be a judge. He can be like a magical judge. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> he can dispute all the magical factions. Yeah. He can be like the magistrate. <laughs> so she finds out that she really doesn't need to worry because she's been totally checked into and she fits all of their needs. And one of the biggest thing is that she's human. So they have a human that will take care of like magical disputes. So that way there's no like favor. Bias. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to leave it there though. Cause it's not a really long book. So I don't want to give away stuff. One thing I will say about the first book is some of the reviewers did complain that you don't, not a lot of action takes place in the first book, which is true in a way, but also she is, I think she's very much setting the stage for the, um, like for the setting, like setting, letting us know who's who, what's what and what's happening. So that's kind of something just to keep in mind. So this is Midlife Magic. Not Too Late, number one, by Victoria Dannon. So I'm going to say I did too. I thought this book was really special. I feel like this book is um, a lot about world building. It's a lot about her learning about magic. You know, at first she has to wear these like sparkly heels in order to even like see magic. Um, Wow. It's, I don't know. They're red sparkly. They're red sparkly. Yeah. And you know, this book to me was like a warm hug in the middle of winter. So 
there were like 7,000 books I want to talk about. Apparently this year, I've already talked about the Betwixt and Between series by Dorinda Jones. I've already talked about the 40 Proof series by Shannon Mayer. Um, I haven't yet, but want to speak about the um, Moon series by Lisa Kessler. Like there's so many things, but I decided that for this episode, I was going to talk to you a little bit about Laura Thalassa's Four Horsemen series. And this series is like alpha holes on steroids. So content warning, all three heroes start out as like, please forgive my PG-13 description, but they start out like dick weasels from the beginning. Like they're not nice people. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I'm going to talk about the first book in the series, and that is Pestilence by Laura Thalassa. It's, it's the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, book one. And this particular book is about Sarah. And Sarah is a firefighter in Canada. And Sarah is um, interested in poetry and literature. But just before she was supposed to go off to university, the world as she knew it ended. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse came thundering through the world and everything fell technology electricity everything that was like what we know now is over wow and so sarah decided like i can't go you know into university to study literature i have to do a job that's going to help people so she went into the fire department well now it's five years since the horsemen galloped through the world and now pestilence has risen and he is riding it throughout he has gone through the east coast of the u.s and now he is in canada and he is just raining plague and death down on the people of the towns and cities that he rides through be careful brooke and so sarah (laughs) (laughs) Young Sarah has just, you know, she and her fellow firefighters have all drawn matchsticks to decide who is going to stay behind in their town of Whistler to kill Pestilence. So his reign of terror is stopped. Well, Sarah draws the bad match. And so she stays behind as everybody else evacuates in hopes of outrunning the plague. And her job is to kill pestilence. So Sarah does her level best to kill pestilence. But instead of killing him, he comes back to life because what she learns far too late is that pestilence cannot die. No matter what is done to his mortal body, he cannot die. And so pestilence takes her. And this is where the content warnings come in because he basically drags her behind his mighty steed for several days and does not treat her in the way that a heroine expects to be treated. No. And so Sarah becomes his prisoner. And even though he showed her, quote, mercy, his main reason for keeping her alive is to basically show her that the world is a miserable place and that she has no control and that she has to watch the entire world of humanity die in front of her while she continues to live. Oh. And so Sarah begins this trek down the West Coast with 
pestilence, watching as cities fall to his plague, as bad people and good people fall to his plague. And very, very, very slowly, she begins to teach him about humanity and about love and mercy and kindness and acceptance. And he begins to show her his more human side, but is her love, is her acceptance, her humanity, her kindness, is any of that enough to change the path of the first horseman of the apocalypse, Pestilence? And I talked about this book today because it's the first in the series, but it is not actually my favorite. Um, I loved in book two how she wrote about war and war um, goes to the Middle East. And the way that she wrote about the culture, the author wrote about the culture was pretty amazing. Um, My favorite of the three books so far is Famine. And that takes place in South America. And the way that the author has researched different geographical areas is really fascinating. And the, the sort of epic um, road trips that these heroines go on following the horsemen of the apocalypse is really fascinating and interesting and culturally diverse. And so while this series is rife with alpha hole dick weasels there is the redemptive power of love and um for some reason like i cannot get enough of these horrible horrible men um so if you like kind of violent um angst ridden sort of love has the power to heal type paranormal romance i highly highly encourage you to read The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse series by Laura Thalassa, beginning with Pestilence. My final book is a book that I kind of stumbled upon. So this book is called Touched by Fire, The Demons of New Chicago, book one by Kel Carpenter. On Audible, it says the series is called The Magic Wars. Um, Okay. And there was a magic war, but that's not the name of the series. So I'm not sure why they did that. Um, but this was so good. I am blanking on the character's name and it is not given in the Goodreads synopsis. So we're just going to go off. This girl who is a bounty hunter. She's a supernatural bounty hunter. Worse. Um, so she lives in what is called New Chicago because there were, or there was a magic war. We don't know a whole lot about it, but we do know at this point that magic rules the world at this point. And if you are not a well-to-do magical being you pretty much have to live with the slums you don't have electricity you can't have decent living quarters because you are not high enough in society 
Um, and that's for, I mean, humans, I guess, uh, let me rephrase that. Humans are kind of left in squalor because magic is the be all end all. She, she's kind of got a personal reason for hunting down supernaturals right now. Um, and in the beginning of the book, we, the only thing we know is that she is looking for someone who can reverse a magically induced coma. Oh. Um, from what she knows, it has to be the person who, who um, initiated it. But she's trying to find out if there's any way possible that somebody other than the person who caused it can reverse it. So she's hunting down these witches. And she is pretty... I feel like we've used a lot of profanity tonight, but there's only one way to describe it. She's badass. So um, she takes... Um, she takes on bounties, obviously, but when we first open, she's on this personal one. Um, well, then she goes to this friend of hers that's kind of the go-between for her boss um, because she does work for somebody, but she's never personally met the person or the guy. So she always goes to this go-between to take on um, to take on bounties. So she is given this bounty to hunt down and kill a coven of witches before they can summon a demon. Because Ooh. most covens who summon demons don't, they're looking for like control they want to control a demon but they in the grand scheme of things do not have the magic power in order to fully control them so she kind of lets her personal life get in the way of this coven uh, or taking down this coven and the demon is summoned um, a lot of them are killed, but not all of them. And when this demon is summoned, there's some sort of bond that happens between her and the demon. And now... Ooh, that's never good. No. And now <laughs> he's kind of after her, but she's hell-bent on him not having her. Um, and it, it's just, it, it kind of snowballs avalanches <laughs> from there um, she takes on a partnership with somebody she never expected to um, she's very much a work by herself kind of person but she kind of realizes that the only way that she might survive this and the only way she might accomplish her goals at this point um is to partner with this person because now her bounty is to, she has three days to hunt down the rest of the coven, kill them and kill the demon. Hey. So this is such a good book. Um, it's different than anything I've ever read, which I feel like I've said several times tonight, but 
it's really, really good. Um, she's a little more well-to-do than, pe- than she tries to lead people to think. Um, the person she partners with is very wealthy, um, but she has been cast out from her own group of people. So they start to work together. So this is such a good book. I highly recommend it. It is called Touched by Fire, The Demons of New Chicago by Kel Carpenter. Okay. I'll have to look for this. So I struggled a lot to come up with my last book. Even as Kristen was talking about her last book, I I was still having like books turning and turning in my mind. So it could be Moon Shadow Bay by Yasmin Galinorn. It could be Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nunn. But I have finally decided that what it will be is Some Girls Bite, Chicago Land <gasps> Vampires, book one by Chloe Neal. I haven't. Mika begged me book. to talk about this. Ah, uh, but you haven't read it. No, I've read like the first 30%. I yes. know, I can't get through it either. Oh, I love it. I love it. I've even read the airs. That's what I was thinking, that you had the airs as one of your picks last month. Um, I bet, but yeah. we've never actually talked about I assumed she the had whole series. I, yeah, because I assumed um I assumed Mika had, so that's why no. I didn't then that's why I didn't pick it. I assumed she did last year when she would have done paranormal romance with like paranormal with you guys. Right. No, she did not. So I am here to share my love of the Chicagoland vampire series. Um, This is a series, again, that's been around for quite a while, and it's one that I've kind of heard of off and on, and I look at it, and I'm just like, no, like, I don't want to. And then finally, last year, I think, because of Mika, actually, I picked up the first book, and I loved it so much. I have to say that the narrator for the first couple books, if you do it in audio, is not my favorite. Fortunately, it switches. Um, I think it's after the third book. So it, it does get better. So our heroine is a woman named Merit. And that's all you know. Like, she's just Merit. Because she was a human who was attacked by a vampire, rescued by another vampire, and therefore turned into a vampire kind of against her will in order to keep her from, like, full-on dying. So apparently, once you become a vampire, you are only supposed to have one name. And so she decides that she's going to be known as Merit. And that's all we know, at least as far as I've read. That's all we know. So Merit is, well, she was part of this very, very well-to-do family. Um, her, Her father is a politician. He has all these plans for how he wants to help shape society in a way that he thinks will be fantastic. And he kind of thinks it's cool that Merit has been turned into a vampire because he figures then like she can sort of be his point of entry into the supernatural world and perhaps that will help him. So Merit 
leaves her like her family home and she totally immerses herself in vampire culture because she has been tasked with being the sentinel for this house of the vampire who created her. And she's not really sure that she likes this idea, but she doesn't really have a choice. Like she was turned and there's nothing she can do. She has to stop like studying um, at college because vampires are not allowed to go to college. So basically everything about her life has been changed. And so now she's kind of forced into this new existence as a sentinel in this world that she knows nothing about. And the world of, of vampire politics is really, really complex. And you learn more about it as the stories unfold. So you figure like you're learning it kind of along with merit. So a lot of things happen that like she kind of unintentionally does the wrong thing just because she does not know all of the rules. Um, some people have struggled with this series. They say that it takes sort of an unnecessarily dark turn um, I'm not opposed to darkness in my urban fantasy, so that doesn't bother me. Um, but I know that some people kind of wish that Neil had taken it in another direction. Um, so if you don't like darkness and you don't kind of want to fall into that where a, a series suddenly gets dark, you might not want to pick this up. But I do really, really like it. It's one of those books that sort of draws you in because you're learning, as I said, right along with the heroine about this world. And it's just very, very fascinating. There is a romance. Um, you can kind of see it coming from a mile away. It doesn't happen quickly, but you, like, you anticipate it. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's like the most suspenseful urban fantasy, but Neil is very, very good at what she does and I really enjoy these. So this is the first book and it's Some Girls Bite, Chicago Land Vampires, number one by Chloe Neal. All right, and that wraps up this exploration of paranormal fiction. Thank you to Stacy, to Brooke and to Kristen for joining me for this kind of last minute episode as um, my current the episode I had planned for this week was derailed a bit. So thank you so much for helping to put this episode together rapidly. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And thank you so very much to each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about fantastic books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. <laughs>